Welcome to Shoot This Now. My name is Tim Malloy. My name is Matt Donnelly. And this is the podcast where every week we talk about true life stories that should be made into movies, or some weeks we just read stories in the New York Times and then talk about why they should be made into movies. This is one of those weeks. And yes, yeah, so speaking of phoning it in, um, this is our <laughs> 36th episode, Tim. Can you believe it? It's 36th episode, and to be appropriate, we're telling the story of a 36-year-old man. Amazing. A 36-year-old man put up for adoption who, after decades of his par- biological parents being separated, he brought them together and got them married to each other. I'm already crying. It's beautiful. He, he reaches out to his mom. He reaches out to his dad. He puts his mom and his dad in touch with each other. And the dad ultimately says, I miss my sweetheart. And the mom and dad get back together after decades. Oh, my God. They were high school sweethearts. Things didn't work out. Anyway, let's go through this beautiful story chronologically. Okay. But first, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm a little tired. We're getting ready for the... Toronto Film Festival here at The Wrap, which is our day job. Mm-hmm. I mean, our side hustle. <laughs> We're not podcasting for Shoot This Now. Um, and I'm getting ready to leave you again, and I'm sad about that. But at least we have this episode to leave for everyone to enjoy. So this time, when you go on one of your Mysterious. adventures, yeah, you're going to call it the Toronto Film, Film Festival. Film Festival, yes. This time okay. I'm going to go to get what my grandmother would call a root canal. Oh. I'll be recovering at the Toronto Film Festival. Okay, well... You just got back from vacation. I just got back well, was from... was it a vacation? Cape Cod. Okay. Uh, and a quick visit to New York. Nice. Where I saw Mean Girls, the musical. And have ranted and raved. In fact... I have. I don't want to spoil a future episode of Shoot This Now, but didn't you put your money on Hollywood starting to make movie musicals from musicals adapted from movies? Well, that happened already with Hairspray. Right. And I think Mean Girls is going to continue the trend. Here's yeah. my hot take. Okay. Mean Girls, the movie, comes out 2004. It's great. The musical comes out. It's even better. Yeah. And it's super relevant now. I mean, the message, the like very digestible feminist message is really, really cool and really good. Yeah. And I think it would translate very well to a movie now. And also, if I were Tina Fey and my whole movie got kind of overshadowed by the Lindsay Lohan drama that was going on at that time, yes. I would kind of want another crack at it. Absolutely. And, and also, think about how relevant a movie like that would be now with social media, which wasn't really mm-hmm. at all. I mean, Mean Girls is a contemporary obsession, but the girls there have to shade each other in a book, in an actual scrapbook, which is the most analog, insane thing. I don't want to ruin it, yeah. but... The book is still part of it, and social media is a huge part of it. Yeah. And there's some great songs around that, too. Wow. And, yeah, it is it is really excellent. And I'll mention this, too. Pretty Woman, the musical adapted from yeah. the beloved movie, is breaking box office records on Broadway. So yeah. I would be shocked not to see someone do something with that. That could also use a 2018 update. Exactly, because the hooker would take Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take less than 100 on Venmo. Exactly. Now, speaking of true love, let's yes. dive in to the New York Times account of this unlikely road to becoming an online minister. <laughs> so my father told me that his father told him that during the Depression, there used to be a radio show where a man would simply read the cartoon strips in that day's paper. Aww. Not everybody could afford the newspaper. And so he would say, all right, the duck walks in and he says... Um, Got any, he says to the bartender, got any bread? And the bartender says, no. And then he says to the bartender again, got any bread? And the bartender says, I just told you no, and if you ask me for bread again, I'm going to nail you to that wall over there. So the duck says, got any nails? And the bartender says, no. And he says, got any bread? 
because he can't nail him to the wall. <laughs> oh, I see. I was more obsessed with the fact that it was Joe Kennedy. It was Joe Kennedy. That who, the who, bartender was Joe Kennedy and <laughs> says, you got any bread? Was I doing a Joe Kennedy? I was, it was get, I was getting Kate Kennedy, but I also think the Cape Cod is in your mind still. So maybe you were doing a little bit of Massachusetts. You thought it was Joe Kennedy. Yeah. You wanted it to be Joe I Kennedy. I kind of did. You wanted Joe Kennedy to crucify Joe Kennedy a duck. to polish a bar. Because <laughs> also we talked about Mary Jo Capegni the other week. We also talked about that, and the response was not good. <laughs> Back to the comic strip. Why do you bring this story up? I bring it up because this episode is going to kind of be <laughs> us reading this great article in the New York Times and then stopping and commenting on it. Got it. Um, the headline, so you can go check this out yourself, is son, plays for adoption, leads birth parents to alter 36 years later. There's a picture of the happy couple with their son, you quickly identified the actors who will play all of these people. I did. I'm going to wait until we see more of the stories so you can get attached to them first. Okay, cool. Or do we want to introduce them so they can get attached oh, to them? Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. So uh, there is a a nebbish but adorable and fun-loving-looking dad who has salt and pepper hair, which I'm going to cast as Steve Carell. I do love him. There is a blonde, highlighted, but sort of earth-mother, lace-wearing mom who seems like she's seen a thing or two in her time, but still has to choose happiness, which is literally how you describe Edie Falco. Mm -hmm. And then their son seems like kind of like a really sweet grateful human being Mm -hmm. who has to have a reserve of forgiveness in him. And I feel like that could be a role for Mr. Thomas Middleditch. Although I think we've given him a few jobs on this podcast, maybe at least one. I'm with you a thousand percent on Corell. Josh Lucas, by the way, but I think that he's too old for the sun. But now he is. Yeah. But if he was in Sweet Home Alabama days, he would have been perfect. Perfect. Um, for me, for sun, I could also go with Mike Birbiglia, but I like that we're going for a comedian. Oh yeah, but I'm not it, I mean, he, if, I'm yeah. not saying he looks like <laughs> these people. They just have the same vibe. Side note: Can I see a movie about Mike Birbiglia and Josh Lucas reading for the same movie part? Oh. <laughs> no, actually, I want to see Mike Birbiglia stand up about having gone to read for the same part with Josh Lucas. Oh, wow. Love him. This is the whitest, middle Ameri- most middle American episode we've ever done. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, as a, as a member of the LGBTQ community, yes. do you ever say that things that are heteronormative are heteroformative? I've never said that, but that's a cute thing to say. This is a very heteroformative. Well, it's it not is. actually. This is like heterosexuals at their most fascinating, mm-hmm. like doing like crazy, like wild, wild things. Yes, like, absconding tradition. Well, I don't want to say I mean, like I'm making ki- a value I mean, judgment. kind of. I mean, like. No, I'm not one of the. Uh, there are. Uh, I was going to say I'm not one of those. Um, there are <laughs> people who I think, oh, God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I don't care. Um, I think there are people in my community who are motivated by. Um, anger who would see anything painted as heteronormative as uh, celebrating or propping up the patriarchy. Yeah. And one of those because like I was produced by two heterosexual people sure. and I'm happy to be here. Not that it's always okay. <laughs> not that it's always okay, but I am not threatened right. by um, like movies like Crazy Stupid Love, which this very well could be one of. So I'm not threatened by that. It all has its place and Hollywood's a market. I would say it's perfect of course i'm in one of those heterosexual relationships and i'm also the product of one of them as are all of us but i i would say it's like it's cool if it's a thing as long as it's not the only thing yes exactly well said um i mean it's not even like it's cool if it's a thing it's just like it's a thing 
Yes. Like Ricky Gervais had this podcast <laughs> where Carl, his sort of guy who he podcasted with, used to say, we shouldn't have reproduction the way we do. We should have like each person giving birth to one other person. And then they talked about how ridiculous that was and how stupid it was. And he goes, all right, well, just don't do it then. And Ricky Gervais is like, we're not doing it. Like, <laughs> you can't just, you couldn't have made your system happen. It's impossible. Okay. So back to the lovely Martin Schmidt. Yes. Um, the lead of the story by Natalie Schuttler, S-H-U-T-L-E-R, Schuttler, I think Schuttler, is Martin Schmidt knew from a young age he was adopted, but he didn't seek out his biological parents until he was about to have children of his own. Hmm. Matt, would you like to read the next one? Okay. Uh, yes, Matt, Matt D. Matt D <laughs> will read the next <laughs> I'll read my line again so we can flow right um, into it. Okay, sure. Martin Schmidt knew from a young age he was adopted, but he didn't seek out his biological parents until he was about to have children of his own. His adopted parents, William and Cynthia Schmidt, gave the paperwork he needed for meeting his biological parents when he turned 18, but, quote, didn't push it, said William Schmidt. Quote, they absolutely loved me like I was biologically born. I have a great family. Still, Mr. Schmidt, 36, a road foreman for Gunnison County in Colorado, said finding out his wife, Karen, was pregnant in 2014 with their firstborn, Malcolm, kind of pushed the issue, quote again. It made me want to meet the rest of the family I didn't know. And so our story begins. It begins. A journey of (laughs) self-discovery. So Martin Schmidt reaches out to the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families. Remember, he's in Colorado. He was born in Wisconsin and adopted in Wisconsin. This story spans the country. So our adorable hero, Martin Schmidt, initiates contact through the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families, and the state gets in touch with his biological mother, Mm -hmm. Michelle Newman, who is living in, guess where? Where? Hawaii. What? She moved from Wisconsin to Hawaii. Okay, can I say something that... Sure. I don't want to offend anybody. But you're going to say Wisconsin doesn't sound as good as Hawaii. But, like, what I'm saying is that, like, if you, you know those stories about, like, um, remember the deep end of the ocean where the woman loses her kid and 20, 20 years later finds out that he's been living in the same neighborhood and he was abducted by a neighbor or something? Sure. Like, I feel like if you have an, uh, uh, if you're adopted, you hope your parents are kind of like the Prince of China yeah. or, like, or like a, a beauty queen on a cruise ship. I think that's a satisfactory, like, oh, my mother's in Hawaii. Yeah. That's Very kind satisfying. Of, that's kind of a payoff. I think that's cool. So she's on her lunch break when she gets the word that her son is trying to reach out to her. She bursts into tears. It was immediate waterworks, she said, according to the Times. I called my mom. Then I went back to work and told my boss, I've got to go home for the rest of the day. Okay. So Martin Schmidt also reaches out to his dad. Um, the backstory is, again, from the Times, Ms. Newman told Mr. Schmidt about the day he was born 35 years earlier during a severe snowstorm that kept Ms. Newman from leaving the hospital for days. At the time, Ms. Newman, now 53, was a high school junior. She and Mr. Schmidt's biological father, Dave Lindgren, grew up in the same small farming community of Loyal, Wisconsin, and the families were close. literally called Loyal, Wisconsin. Oh, my God, that's good. This is such insane Americana. I can see, like, Alexander Payne dying for this shit. It's called Loyal, Wisconsin. The, yes, the that's, what called Loyal, Wisconsin. that's not Loyal, Wisconsin. Mr. Lindgren was a few years older, and in addition to going to high school, he was working at a dairy plant. The two had dated for several months and broke up before Ms. Newman realized she was pregnant. So, basically, she realizes that she's pregnant. She puts the child up for adoption. They go their separate ways. Wow. Um, They leave Loyal, Wisconsin. They leave Loyal, Wisconsin, but they leave memories behind. They sure do. Um, So, their son is adopted, ends up in Colorado. He reaches out to his mother. He reaches out to his father. And then this is all going very sweetly. His mom, Michelle Newman, decides to reach out to his dad, Dave Lindgren. Um, She says, my plan was just to send him a text. He gets the text. He's five hours ahead. He's getting ready for bed at his home in Marshfield, Wisconsin. It's an odd area code. He initially ignores it, 
But then when he realizes who it was, he texts back and forth and says, do you mind if I give you a call? Um, he's been married three times and has become a father many times over. Wow. He has four biological kids, including Martin, and four stepchildren. Uh, and he says, four stepchildren that are also my kids. That's sweet. That's so sweet. Um, he says, I was always meant to be a dad. So he stayed in Wisconsin, <sighs> and he's a plant manager at Lynn Dairy. You literally yawned when I said he stayed in Wisconsin. No, I just... I just... <laughs> I just sighed heavily, communicating my silent judgment, which you love to call me out on. I just, no, I, I got really wistful because, yeah, all right, whatever, shut up, Tim. <laughs> so, Mr. Lindgren was eager to hear about his son, but he expected they'd have a short conversation. Guess what? Four hours go by. So, they have these longer and longer talks, um, and eventually he agrees to go. He, well, he says it better than I can. He tells her, you know, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. So he and his nephew, Nate, who, according to the Times, could double as a travel partner and and potential buffer, went to go to Hawaii. And pretty much as soon as they see each other on the tarmac, which, by the way, she brought Lay's. She brought them Lay's. Isn't that the cutest thing? That's so cute. And she presents the Lay's, and they give each other a hug and then a kiss. Whoa. And from there, Mr. Lindgren said, it took over from us being 16 and 17 years old again. That's... God. Mm. God. So they end up getting back together. She moves back to Wisconsin. The son presides over their wedding. Wow. This is awesome. And it's re- just like, uh, and if, by the way, if you see the Times piece, there are so many photos in the ceremony that look like they could be this sprawling wedding story yeah. that could be like either Robert Altman or Alexander Payne. Like it's just so many little characters. Yeah. One of their. Um, uh, relative is, is a little boy sings Rascal Flats on his acoustic guitar like kill that, me I'm crying that song already. God Bless the Broken Road is yeah. like the official oh. song of relationships that like almost didn't happen it's yeah. such a good song right or, or any town that has like a bar called Saloon <laughs> like that's the official song for every couple that lives in the village but like the whole idea is like we all go through stuff this guy's been married multiple times she's been through a lot of things in her life her passion was advocating for victims of sexual assault and people struggling with addiction. Um, she knew that he was going through a divorce and about his children and his large extended family. Again, according to the Times, they talked about real things. And that's what that song is about. It's about yeah. how, like there's so much that goes on in your life and you see some things as a detour from the relationship you're going to end up with. But whatever that path is that leads you there is the right path. Right. Can I say something that might I, and I, tell me if I'm sure you'll tell me if I sound cynical, Tim Malloy. <laughs> Um, like how I say your full name when I know you're about to be a dick. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, boy. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I thought about, I have a close friend who got married and um, she was high school sweethearts with a guy and then I think it kind of went on to college and then she lived in LA for a couple of years. She's a great journalist. And then at their wedding, they're very young, but everyone, even their parents, the narrative was like, life comes full circle and the, the you know I minute a glimpse and I'm right back where I started from and it's like it, it was just funny to me because I wonder if that is a story that we're always leaning in to tell that, that some kind of larger fate is at hand or oh, yeah. or that the that that you know time is a flat circle to quote the genius Matthew McConaughey from True <laughs> Detective but like do you think that that's the story we comfort ourselves with or do you think that's how life works because I, to me, I perceive so, young people who take five years off as they go explore stuff and realize that they were meant to be together yeah. is kind of like treading water, whereas opposed to 
two people who had a baby, gave it up for adoption, and then come back years later to get married by that baby is certainly more of a fateful journey. But I wonder if it's just a human tendency to make a sort of Shakespearean or even some kind of like cyclical, inevitable story for ourselves, you know, to stave off the ravages of loneliness. Well, I do this. I don't know if you do this, but I think of things as a narrative. Yeah. And sometimes if like, let's say I'm riding my bike and I almost get hit by a car, Mm -hmm. I always think like, "Uh uh-oh, is this foreshadowing? Yeah. Because like in the story, if I'm going to be hit by a car, they have to plant the idea that I might get hit by a car sort of early or um, it just seems like out of the blue. Yeah. So whenever those things happen, it's like, is this going to mean something later or is this just a thing that doesn't connect? And you know, is your life a random sequence of events or is it mm-hmm. a Breaking Bad episode wow. where <laughs> Great example. every single thing that happens... I mean, mine is a Breaking Bad episode, sure. <laughs> Everything that happens is somehow going to come back. Like if someone gives you a pen at the beginning of the episode, are you going to use that to stab a drug dealer in the neck? Which is not a real episode, but whatever. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you know what no. I'm saying? It's the whole Chekhov's gun. Like totally. Is, is life Chekhov's gun where things... You know, if you s- introduce a gun early in the story, it has to go off later in the story. Are there Chekhov gu- Chekhov's guns all over the place? Yeah. Stephen King's interpretation of that is that the gun is a promise to the reader. Totally. Yeah. And this is a promise to their lives. I mean, they have this baby, and it comes back around that the ba- that the baby not only grows up to reintroduce them, but also happens to be an ordained minister. <laughs> In of the, the universe. In on the greatest of all churches, the Church of the Latter-day Dude, <laughs> which is a religion based on the Big Lebowski. That is, that is a wonderful... <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. We all have that friend who like, got ordained in a weird religion so yeah. they can marry everybody else. Exactly. And he's that friend. Um, and by the way, the, the same thing happens to anyone who actually has to do that is, is that they, they sit on themselves like, oh, no, I can do this all the time. Yeah. Shout out to my friend who... Should I say this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to my friend who just got... Lena Dunham to do it for her in Ohio. Oh, no way. And then, yes, and I saw Miss Dunham, and Miss Dunham said, I can do this all the time now. What or what church is Lena Dunham ordained in? I think it's just the, univer- the, it's the universal church of whatever. It's the one that, that only costs 40 bucks online. She can afford any church she wants. She, prob- she could probably be a minister in the church of, I don't know, Scientology. No, don't put she, that in there. She, um, could, she, could, she could afford to be a minister of any online church she wants, and she chose that one. So that really is a testament yeah. to how good that exactly. church must be. She wants a democratic experience. <laughs> <laughs> you should renew your vows and Linda Dunham could do it. <laughs> um, but, but I only ask that not to sound like so cynical, but I just wonder if people – for this couple, it's totally warranted. But like, you know, ha- me dating someone three years ago and then winding up in 10 years marrying them is like, okay, maybe we had unfinished business, but I, I don't know if I would create for myself a narrative. And by the way, no offense to my friends who got married. I love you guys so much. Well, some people think like if you get back with your ex, you like saw who else was out there and like gave up. <laughs> you're like, oh boy, I didn't realize how good I had it. But also like – if you're able to like survive breaking up and realizing the value of the relationship you had, that's that's a testament to your ability to get through stuff as a couple. I mean, yeah. you've gotten through the death of you as a couple yeah. and oh, somehow God. still been able to stay together. Wow. Like in, at least in friendly and respectful mm-hmm. terms at the very least. Right. I mean, that's a person who you kind of want to ride with. Let's talk about it, the emotional fortitude of our young man and uh, who I guess is he our lead character or is it the parents? It's an interesting story, and the major impediment I see to this being a movie is that there isn't a major impediment. Yeah, everything kind of works out. I mean, there's a huge fate. Go ahead. Yeah, which is why Tim and I, I think I don't think this has been recorded. Sorry. Boop. Um, 
which is why I think you and I were joking earlier that this should be told through the perspective of the New York Times reporter. Oh, yeah. Who maybe has her own parental issues. Uh, the byline here is Natalie... Uh, Shuttler, great job, Natalie. The story is beautiful, and um, we will totally fictionalize her. We don't, yes. we know nothing about Natalie Shuttler. So any, um, her name, her name has to be an Aaron Sorkin lady journalist named like Mackenzie McHale <laughs> uh, or Sloane Sabbath. So any resemblance um, to the real Natalie Shuttler is completely coincidental <laughs> because we haven't even Googled her. We yes, just think exactly. she's a really good writer. So forgive me, yeah. So actually, you should beep out her name so we don't get sued. Um, no, so maybe we could give that 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 protagonist or that or that narrating voice could have parental issues and, and feel whatever. But, but the but Mackenzie McCoy character, yes, the New York yeah, Times journalist. Yeah. Um, Sloan Shibboleth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sloan Shibboleth. Um, maybe has some issue. But I, I do wonder about – I have a friend who I will not name um, who is adopted, and she has Are reached, you not naming her because of the shameful stigma of being adopted? No. <laughs> Maybe because who wants to break? Actually, by the way, there's an amazing episode of Strangers with Candy where um, I think they find out that it, or someone's adopted and, and the entire cast of Stephen Colbert and Paul Tonello and um, uh, Amy Sedaris shame. Like, I'm not some gross adopted person. Like, just making, oh but like they, making a joke out of how completely irrelevant it is. Not irrelevant, but how... how what totally a ridiculous accept- thing to yes, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's funny. Um, but a friend of mine found her birth father... Um, and has reached out to her birth mother, and her birth mother declined contact. Oh, and wow. She has two kids of her own, and she openly, I could even, like, I'm, like, getting emotional thinking about it. She posts about how difficult it is because she has her own babies, and she's like, I know it's for the best, and maybe she's ashamed, or maybe she just doesn't want any part. Or, um, but she says, I, I look at my kids, and I don't understand yeah. why. Um, so I just want to talk about uh, or, or explore, like, Martin Schmidt, bolstered by the security of his loving adoptive parents, and to be, I wonder if it would take a, it takes a really tall person emotionally to, to be able to do that. To risk it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First, so can Tom prob- Middleditch pull that off is my question. No. I, I think it would be one of those Tom Middleditch is a revelation type of things. Yeah, totally. Um, it's an opportunity. If he can pull it off. <laughs> which I, I think he's a great actor. Yeah. I mean, I think he could. Yeah. I don't know. I think huge props to anyone who is adopted. Huge props to people who put their children up for adoption, who just realized this is going to give them a better life. And most of all, huge props to people who adopt kids. I mean, it's just, it's hard to raise kids. And mm. I don't know. I, I, I found this a really moving story. And if anything, it made me, we kind of kick around the idea of adopting kids someday. Mm. Like, it makes me want to adopt kids more because I might get to go to Complete Strangers' awesome wedding yeah. in like 30 years. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. By the way, does this not reek of being a crazy soundtrack movie? Oh, it'd be an amazing soundtrack yeah. movie. You know, the so other- Rascal Flats. There's <laughs> got to be a the, there's got to be a scene in Hawaii where he has an emotionally trying moment and goes to like some nightclub, and that's what we'll do like an Ariana Grande moment. Oh, maybe she'll perform the official song of Hawaii, the cover of "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." That you start crying, <laughs> you start crying as soon as it starts. Yeah, exactly. That even Don be, Draper cries over it. <laughs> even if, even if the whole movie is terrible, they can just put that in the third act, and people's hearts will soften. Yeah, they'll be like, you know what? There's not really an obstacle for this couple. They just seem to really like each other. Yeah, you just throw on that song, right. and or even cool. you just put that up over credits to make people think about where the movie starts in Hawaii, and then everyone sits in their seats and cries as the credits roll. Uh, yeah, everyone's like sitting in the dark, like not looking. Yeah, I want to see this movie. I want to see it too. I want to see okay, it on so Sunday when it's who, raining. <laughs> yes, and I want to walk out feeling so better about the world. I said Alexander Payne, but actually, I don't. I think he's better at familial dis- 
function and and resent and pain. I mean, at, he did the Descendants a, in Hawaii, right? He did. He did do the Descendants, but that's not why I thought of him. I thought of him more of Loyal Wis- Wyoming. Is that where this is? Loyal Wisconsin. Yeah, I thought I thought of I more for that because I think he's good at that sort of like sparse. And finding the absurdist humor in, in, in the simple lives there. Right. Um, but who else could do this? Well, he'd be good, too, because there isn't, like, a giant, giant obstacle in, Nebra- in the movie Nebraska. Mm-hmm. God, he does a lot of movies that are really centered on a particular place. Um, I love him. Um, Andrew Reynolds, I think, is from Nebraska and said Alexander Payne's the patron saint of the Midwest. Oh, man. Because he just puts every movie there. That except movie. for The Descendants, which I loved. Yeah. That movie doesn't have, like, a gigantic obstacle. It's just, like, a father-son dynamic. But this could have the same kind of thing, like, people who who are afraid to take the giant leap that they're taking. Right. And there'll also be, like, naysayers in their lives who are, like, you know, somebody will say – will have trouble with the fact that the dad's been married three times and then will – will hear that, like, the reason he was married three times is that his heart was always with her. Oh. And people will have issues with him going to Hawaii because that's a crazy thing to do. Right. And so there will be some little obstacles populated by character actors who we will then... Judy Greer. The most satisfying thing about the whole story is all these people who pop up along the way, the flight attendant who helps them, all of them, they all show up at the wedding at the end. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And their wedding is also... The flight attendant, the car rental guy... Um, uh, uh, b- b- group of military people on leave. Uh, I'm basically just listing characters from Aloha, the one um, movie that didn't work with where Emma Stone plays an Asian lady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was also adopted by exactly. a different culture. Also, adopted against their will. There's got to be a salty old lady, too, who's like a fun old bag, like June <laughs> Squibb. Um, I'm going to vote like... Maggie Smith, but I don't think she can oh, do an American God. accent. Um, I'd like to see it. Yeah. Maggie Smith is a revelation. Exactly. That's my only poll quote. <laughs> Blank is a revelation. <laughs> um, also, their wedding is absolutely yeah. beautiful. So this final scene, it's like if you shot it for a movie, it yeah. would be too on the nose. Like the lights, the first the setting sun outside, all of the little lamps that are hanging, the grass, mm. the tent, the sort of like light up dream catcher inside of the tarp. Is so gorgeous. It's beautiful. I just, I don't know. I wish I'd been at this wedding. I know. And also, uh, Martin even wore a shirt with little surfers on it to denote Come the history on. of Hawaii. There were jello shots there. I told you there's room for an Ariana Grande song in this. Absolutely. Mm. And no minister at Aretha Franklin's oh funeral will ruin it. Yeah. Someone told me once that, oh, I don't know if this is, I'm, why am I spilling so much tea today? I love it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'll tell you who it is off camera or off, okay. offline. But a very very famous oh, comedian. Oh, we're off camera now. Go off right camera. <laughs> a very famous comedian who has, let's say, a distinguishing laugh in his wedding speech. Hmm. Um, that was private. I guess I don't know. I'm just gonna do it. Said that uh, what he loved most about weddings is that everyone has a birthday. Um, oh. And that weddings are just a day to, that you celebrate being in love with somebody, and he thought that was the coolest thing in the entire world. That there's just one moment, and I think that 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 could be the entirely how you shoot this entire wedding. It's just to mark that, wow. and nothing because this is like the, like if you see these photos, the wedding is a tent with multicolored Christmas lights, yeah, hot sternos under like um, tin foil food containers, yeah. and kids and guitars. It's that not is, by the way, the standard. I used to be a wedding. Um, Server. I was gonna say DJ. And the sterno, <laughs> the sterno is so important to weddings. If people it knew is. how valuable that yeah. small light up 
incendiary and device was. Isn't it goo? Isn't it like just goo? It's this weird goo, and you light it, and it burns forever, and it keeps everything hot, and wow. it saves every wedding. Wow. By the way, did you see the Meg? I didn't. No, I haven't. I have missed so many good movies lately because I've been too busy preparing for dumb film festivals. Actually, <laughs> I'm excited. But uh, <laughs> um, no, I haven't seen the Meg. I finally saw Crazy Rich Asians, which I scream and died for. But what about the Meg? Is there a sterno in it? The Meg has a spectacular wedding <gasps> um, on oh. a boat and a little dog named Pippin who jumps off. Pippin. almost eaten by the Meg. I've seen Pippin. Oh, I'm so glad she survives. I've seen Pippin um, with her little half up, half down. Um, this movie, this article we just read is better. Is a better movie <laughs> than The Meg. I, okay. I, 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 but I, I still that. enjoyed things about The Meg. Here's, I like the story of The Meg. I, I wish they'd like edited it differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Paul Shear, who was recently on <gasps> our Love Paul podcast, Shear. they did an amazing episode of How Did This Get Made where they talk about how like The Meg really has no highs or lows. It's, it's just kind of just consistently like... Oh, okay, there's a giant shark. We're going to have to stop him. That shark killed our friend. So, so, it, so it's kind of just a workplace drama about the people that have to deal with a giant shark. Yeah, it's like they're really acclimated to there being giant sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone pointed out that, like, no one knew they existed except Jason Statham had found one years prior. Yeah, And then yeah. it's something inexplicable. There's a very complicated situation in the Meg where there's a permafrost layer. Maybe Meg was reuniting her parents that gave her up for adoption. Oh, my God. Is that too insensitive? No. <laughs> I mean, sharks need love, too. They do. I mean, that sounds like a good plot for... Maybe sharks Need Love is the sequel to Loyal <laughs> Wisconsin. You know that You know that This American Life where the guy writes this amazing story about the Cuban Revolution and then it gets stuck and turned around and eventually it's released as Dirty Dancing 2? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Havana Nights? We could have... We, like, pitch this story to Hollywood... And they're like, it's good. There's not really conflict. And then they like are really struggling with the direction for the Meg, the Meg Two. And they're like, hey, what if the shark is the obstacle? Like they've got to go to Hawaii, right? Hawaii has sharks. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, I see this more as like Mary Poppins Three, back in the Bumba shoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, we've uh, we've successfully we've not completely destroyed this beautiful story that tells itself. Um, I think people could follow what happened. I think so. And um, you know who should... Uh, well, so we've so Alexander Payne could do this. I think this is a very Amazon Studios kind cool. of project. Totally agree. Because all the moms and babies can watch it on, on, on their Apple TV. And the dads. And the dads, too, because dads are... And the uh, dads, dads. Dads are part of the family. The dads, 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 if they're not reading cartoons about... Exactly. About <laughs> bread and nails. And... Um, yeah, and then another director idea we had was Jason Reitman because he's great at this stuff. Yes, he is. Really he is. He's really good. And also he would probably do it where it wouldn't be as maybe saccharine as other right. directors could do it. It could be very straightforward. If Reitman did it, this would entirely be Martin slash yeah. Je- Tom Middleditch's story, I think. Oh, my God. A thousand percent. I want to see this way more And, now. like, maybe there would be a CGI text window so you could see everything he's typing on his phone Oh yeah, the I like those. Time. Yeah, I like. I love those. First season of House of Cards did that beautifully. Yeah, you know what else I really liked? Who used the phone really well? Hmm. This movie gets a lot of heat, but Cameron Crowe's Elizabeth Town. There, oh. There's a scene where the two young lovers are talking I on the phone. I can't believe you're about to say this, and they uh, we peeked on the phone. Well, yeah, ahead, yeah, ahead, uh, yeah, on the phone, and then also there's this thing where they're doing everything they can possibly do to keep their phones charged. Yeah. And their phones are like getting hot, and they're like plugging them in, and, like moving back, and everything, <laughs> and like it's just so so part of like 
one incidental part of like being in long distance love is yeah. having to like get your text messages right and like keep your phone charged oh, and like wow. stay close to like you might have to stay close to the outlet even if there's not anywhere to sit over there exactly and so you're just like on the floor talking to this person that's really sweet oh my god that movie gets it really well i kind of want to see it again to yeah. see if it's as good as i yeah. remember there's that there's a scene in that movie that my my friend and i talk about all the time where they spend basically 24 hours on the phone and they drive halfway across the country to meet each other in the middle and they look at each other and they're like yeah we peaked on the phone <laughs> This is, it wasn't going to get better than it was on the phone um, oh. Oh. well this wonderful couple yes. Dave Lindgren and Michelle Newman did not peak on the phone no they didn't they hit one point one high as teenagers and then thought that that was over and then it sloped sloped and then suddenly rocketed up and now they're together in love being written about in the New York Times in quite frankly the best New York Times wedding announcement I've ever read. Oh, amazing. And now Hollywood will make you into the Meg, too. Congratulations, you crazy kids. If you enjoyed this episode, just give us, give us five Megs. Give us five, five Megs on iTunes. That's five shark bites. Yeah, give us five sharks, five <laughs> teeth. And, um, you know, just take a minute, check it out. Give us the thing on iTunes. Write us a review if you want. Tell us who you think you would cast in this instead. Just talk to us. I sound, At, like, a, what? I sound like a character in the Meg who's talking about a shark. Like, just, there's a shark, and it, yeah. it, it bit my leg. Um, we're at, at Shoot the Snail Pod, and also their teeth are jutting through the ceiling now. Yeah, that's right. A couple yeah. people have done this. Yeah. You should do it, too. Um, DM us at Shoot This Now Pod. Uh, let us know you gave five stars. We'll add you to the cool mailing list that gets you into a whole lot of film screenings in New York and Los Angeles. Boom. And you can see some movies that did get made, not just movies that we fantasize about being made. Exactly. 